Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I'm proud to be your host, Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Thursday, January 27th, 2022. Thank you so much for joining us. We are taking a final look at the issue 128 edition, winter 2021, going into 2022 of the Fatima Crusader, available from the Fatima Center, located at Fatima.org. And today will be the final article that we're going to take a look at and discuss. It is entitled, The Church Seemingly Possessed, by David Rodriguez and Thomas Michael. begins by saying, A terrible and inescapable dilemma. Catholics who wish to remain faithful to Christ and his church face a terrible and inescapable dilemma today. We know that whoever wishes to be saved must, above all, keep the Catholic faith whole and entire. Yet, as members of Christ's mystical body, we don't just profess the true faith, we also worship God correctly, lex orandi, lex credendi. We abide by his laws, as he has revealed them, and we obey our rightful superiors in all legitimate matters, his representatives on earth. When matters are as they should be, all these elements harmoniously conform to one another. The degree to which they do not conform is a fair indication of the gravity of iniquity within the church militant. Yet what are Catholics to think, and what are they to do, when some of these elements are in conflict with one another, and it is simply not possible to remain faithful to them all? For example, What is a Catholic to do when he knows God must receive reverent worship, and yet all the parishes nearby foster scandalous liturgies or require vaccine passports? How does a Catholic defend the sacredness of marriage and the Holy Eucharist if the local bishop permits those living in public sin to receive Holy Communion or openly blesses homosexual unions, contrary to God's created order? How does a Catholic defend the truth to his neighbor that the Catholic Church is holy when a seemingly endless stream of terrible scandals pervades the news. How do we understand this dilemma? As we all struggle to make sense of today's terrible crisis, the devil tempts us with false solutions which exacerbate the problem. On account of the obvious and terrible scandals within the church, many non-Catholics have been confirmed in their rejection of the Catholic Church's claim that she is the one holy Church of Christ. Likewise, Many Catholics have been induced to leave the Catholic Church. Various solutions being proposed today, even amongst Catholics, seem to lack authentic Catholic faith and true Christian charity. Today's grave crisis is surely an aspect of the mystery of iniquity. St. Paul alludes to this in his second letter to the Thessalonians. As this is a divine mystery, we shouldn't expect to possess a complete and rational explanation. Yet in his goodness, God often enlightens our path by prefiguring deeper realities with more understandable types. Typology Since God is omnipotent and omniscient, he is able to foreshadow profound truths with types. A type is any real person, place, thing, or event, which prefigures a deeper mystery of the faith. A type can represent a deeper reality through commonalities and or by way of analogy. Thus, we say types are linked to one another by participating in similar aspects of a supernatural mystery. 
The better the connection, the more powerful is the type. By studying the type, we can then penetrate more deeply into the mystery of the greater reality which it prefigures. The Old Testament, for example, is filled with types of our Blessed Mother. Judith analogously represents her by cutting off the head of the enemy. Esther participates in her role as mediatrix by interceding with the king to save God's elect. The sealed fountain prefigures her perpetual virginity, and the unblemished Ark of the Covenant foreshadows her immaculate conception. Each of these types signifies far more regarding Our Lady. And types do not just apply to Our Lady. For example, the similarities between Joseph the Patriarch and Saint Joseph are best understood through typology. Noah's Ark and the Holy City of Jerusalem are quintessential types for the Church. And, of course, there are countless types which prefigure the life and mysteries of our Lord. While the Church Fathers accustomed us to study the sacred scriptures through typology, God continues to employ typology to further his glory and the salvation of souls. Saints often live out certain aspects of the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the Church. This is readily seen in a saint like Padre Pio, who suffered the stigmata, or in the incorrupt body of a religious virgin like St. Bernadette Subaru. A case of demonic possession and type of the Church. In St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, who lived between 1846 and 1878, a Discalce Carmelite mystic, our Lord may have mercifully provided a type to help strengthen our faith and hope during this time of grave diabolical disorientation. She was born Mariam Beardi in the Holy Land, and as such was given the nickname Little Arab. In her unique case of demonic possession, we may have witnessed a type prefiguring what the Church must endure after failing to obey Our Lady of Fatima. Like the Church itself, Mariam Beardi was born through a special intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who instructed Mariam's parents to make a long and difficult pilgrimage by foot of more than 100 miles to the grotto of the Nativity in Bethlehem in order to obtain this grace. Mariam's parents had great difficulty bearing healthy children, as all 12 of their prior sons had died in infancy. Thus, just as the 12 tribes of Israel prepared the way for Christ and his church, so too did Mariam's 12 older brothers prepare the way for Our Lady to miraculously intervene in Mariam's birth. As in the case of all the saints in the church itself, Mariam's life was filled with trials, persecutions, and sufferings, which God used to save countless souls. But Mariam's suffering and attacks would be particularly extraordinary. Upon Christ's request, Mariam agreed to be a victim soul by allowing demons to possess her for 40 days. Preceding her possession, she explained, Jesus is going to give Satan the power to torment me for 40 days. I will suffer much. The devil will have power only over my body. My soul will be hidden from him. Jesus has promised to enclose it in a box where Satan will not be able to reach it. The devil will make me commit many external faults without my sinning. My will shall have nothing to do with them. I will be like the little babes whose reason has not awakened and who, for that reason, are incapable of sin. In short, God deigned to allow this saint to be possessed and tormented by demons. This virgin bride of Christ would appear to have committed many sins, but as it would be the demons who acted through her, her soul would remain pure, holy, and untouched. Yet, we can imagine how difficult it would have been for all those around her to grapple with this possession. Would they view her as a lost soul? Would they calumniate her? If they believed her, how could they interact with her in an appropriate manner? Truly, 
What we see in St. Mary of Jesus Crucified is quite unique. Yet, if God has made it so that a religious nun is possessed but does not sin, then surely he can also permit the church militant to suffer demonic influence in many of its external activities while the church still remains his perfect mystical body and immaculate virgin bride. We can't fully explain the supernatural reality, but we can accept it in faith and struggle to penetrate its depths. A 40-day trial. Despite several exorcisms, the demons could not be driven out of St. Mary of Jesus crucified until the end of the pre-appointed 40 days. She suffered tremendously. Demons from all levels of hell made 14 separate attempts to degrade her soul through a series of preternatural attacks and temptations. Their efforts were of no avail. She herself would not be guilty of sin. Soon, however, a divine reversal took place. The little Arab began to love her suffering for Christ. She said, I weep, O Jesus, for not suffering enough for thee, to suffer unto the end of the world. O my God, if it is thy will, I want it too. I desire only to please thee. Jesus, make me accomplish thy will. This saint's humility and willingness to suffer became unbearable to the demons, who now begged to be liberated from her body. However, as per Christ's preordained plan, they had to remain for 40 days. In the end, while the little Arab's suffering was unimaginable, it paled in comparison to the suffering, humiliation, and defeat that the demons endured while being imprisoned in the body of such a holy woman. Once the demons were at last allowed to flee, an angel from heaven came and possessed the little Arab for four days, causing her to visibly shine with great light. Thus our Lord brought a tremendous good out of one of the most horrific experiences a human being has endured. Had the demons not been allowed to possess her for those 40 days, she would not have had the four days of angelic glory that followed, nor would we be talking about her possibly serving as a powerful type for the terrible crisis in which the church militant now finds herself. Cracks in the Walls of the Church Militant Through her excruciating ordeal, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified learned quite a bit about the activities of demons. She remarked, The devil is like the wind. He can get through the smallest cracks. Thus, if given even the slightest opportunity to infiltrate, the devil will make his way through tiny fissures. Therefore, great vigilance is required. Windows and doors to the spirit of the world must be sealed, lest the devil be allowed a point of entry. And, like the wind, he sometimes enters forcefully, but at other times subtly. In calling the Second Vatican Council, Pope John XXIII reportedly said it was time to throw open the windows of the church and to let the fresh air of the Spirit blow through, contending that the church was too stuffy and needed to look to the world. The world, which is opposed to Christ, see John 1, 10 and 11, was called to act as leaven upon the church militant. Years later, reflecting on the aftermath of the council, Pope Paul VI said, through some mysterious crack, no, it's not mysterious. Through some crack, the smoke of Satan has entered the sanctuary. As a result of this opening, it appears that the devil, like the wind, made his way into the church. Dare we say that the church militant is, in a sense, possessed at the present moment? Recall the famous vision of Pope Leo XIII from October 13, 1884, 33 years to the day before the miracle of the sun. In a dialogue echoing the book of Job, the devil requested and received from Christ more power and time, a hundred years, to work towards the destruction 
of the church. To prevent this evil, Pope Leo commanded that the prayer to St. Michael should be said after every low mass. Pope Paul VI regrettably and disastrously rescinded this decree. Today, as insane as it sounds, there are some bishops and priests who actively prohibit the recitation of this prayer after Mass. In the 1950s, former Communist Party activist Bella Dodd testified that Communist agents had reached high positions of ecclesial power with the aim of undermining the Church. Credible evidence exists that many prelates have been, and may still be, members of Freemasonic organizations. Father Malachi Martin wrote that satanic rituals were performed within the Vatican in the 1960s so as to enthrone Satan therein. Pope John Paul II permitted idols to be worshipped on the very altars of our Catholic churches during the 1986 Assisi Prayer for Peace event. And then, just before the, quote, outbreak of COVID-19 and repressive lockdowns, Pope Francis permitted pagan worship of a demonic Amazonian idol in the Vatican Gardens and in St. Peter's Basilica. This is only a short catalog of diabolical activities, but are not these actions alone more than sufficient to allow the church militant to fall under the power of a strong diabolical influence? And yet, by God's omnipotence and eternal wisdom, he could still maintain his mystical body in a supernaturally pure and immaculate state. Yes, this is a great mystery, and we thank God for providing St. Mary of Jesus crucified as a type of our present state of affairs, for indeed it strengthens our faith in this time of great confusion and unprecedented crisis. Hallmarks of Possession Let us consider some basic hallmarks of demonic possession, and whether these same attributes are being observed en masse within the church militant today. When a person is possessed, demons have a certain control over physical activities of the body, producing unusual external acts by the possessed person. If we look at the church militant, externally, she does not seem to be acting herself. Just as a possessed man's normal way of being is suppressed, the church's most perfect external manifestation has also been suppressed. Her most ancient rite of mass, which St. John Henry Newman called the most venerable of all rites and the most beautiful thing on this side of heaven, is being violently attacked by Francis and his close advisors in the episcopacy. They have now expressed the explicit intent of eliminating the Church's most ancient and venerable rite, despite its apostolic origins and immutable protection by the Council of Trent and Pope St. Pius V's bull, Quo Primum, in 1570. Call to mind the Gerasian demoniac mentioned in the Gospels who violently attacked himself and stripped himself of his clothing. After the Council, churches violently stripped bare their altars and sanctuaries and the clergy and religious threw off their traditional religious garb. Following Bergoglio's motu proprio, it's as if the church militant is stripping herself of her very life. Our Lord promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Did he not also promise that he and the Holy Ghost will remain with and guide the church for all ages? Did Our Lady not promise that in the end, her immaculate heart will triumph? If amidst this great trial and suffering akin akin to possession, Catholics remain faithful to the Church, they will also share in the victory and glory that is destined to come with the great Marian age of renewal and peace. For just as after the little Arab's forty days of possession had ended, an angel from heaven took possession of her person, so too will the Church experience a heavenly age of great renewal and peace after this present trial finally comes to an end.
Another hallmark of the demonic is blatant dishonesty. During a possession, demons often speak lies through the mouth of the possessed, not only for the sake of blaspheming God, but also to create confusion. From pulpits the world over, many lies and false doctrines are being preached. Among other things, sins against God have been replaced with sins against Mother Nature. Perennial and immutable moral teachings on things like the death penalty are being abandoned. Yet, communion for the divorced and, quote, remarried is tolerated and even encouraged. Now the Covidian religion of masks, jabs, social distancing, and lockdowns supersedes the gospel and divine revelation. When gauging the number of demons who wreak havoc on the priesthood today, we might even say, they are legion, for they are many. Some demons are described in the Bible as impure spirits, which explains the failings against chastity of so many clergy and consecrated religious. Furthermore, false religions have received implicit approval several times at interfaith prayer meetings, the Assisi meetings, being among the most egregious. Just as demons cause confusion and division, so has the papacy in these unhappy times. Demons frequently coax a possessed person into committing acts of self-harm. With COVID lockdowns and vaccine passports, the faithful are deprived of the healing remedies of the sacraments, in most cases with the explicit approval and encouragement of the local bishop. We might imagine this as an example of a possessed church militant doing what it can to maim the members of her body. Learn from the saints who serve as types. To counter false notions and fears, let us again turn back to the example of St. Mary of Jesus Crucified. Recall that in the case of the possession of the little Arab, her soul was preserved from any and all stain of sin. Thus she was sinless and unblemished in spite of what was occurring externally. While demons were controlling her body and even speaking through her very mouth, her soul and true identity remained untouched. Blasphemy may have come out of her mouth and violence committed by her hands, but it was the demons who moved her mouth and body, and her soul was in no way complicit. Thus, her innocence remained. If she does serve as a type, then her experience would analogously apply to the church militant. While the church's material and external elements may be within the reach of demonic infiltration and sinful men, in its essence the church remains untouched and unblemished. The Catholic Church is and will always be the perfect, faithful, and spotless Bride of Christ, her four marks will perpetually remain, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, and she will always be the sole and exclusive religion willed by God, through which alone mankind can find salvation and the forgiveness of sins. This remains true even when we are unable to perceive the church's holiness with our human reason and senses. Faith is required, and we are at present undergoing a great test of faith. Consider what would have happened if the little Arab had despaired and given up hope, despite our Lord's promise that her soul would remain untouched. She may not have been saved, and she would not have ultimately been exalted for four days by the angel from heaven for her victory over the demons. How much worse would it be for a faithful Catholic to give up hope during this time of a seeming church possession when we have a much surer and infallible guarantee of final victory for the church than the little Arab did for herself. A private vision of our Lord, even if authentic, does not carry the same degree of surety as does Christ's public and fallible decrees found in Scripture, not to mention the dogmas of the Catholic Church. What do we do?
So, what is a faithful Catholic to do in these times of diabolic confusion and ostensible possession? It is clear that something is wrong, and has been for decades. The smoke of Satan has entered the sanctuary. Is one to despair and leave the church? Ought one to jump off of Noah's Ark amid the stormy seas? Is one to doubt the infallible truths of the faith? Of course not. In possessing someone, the devil, the devils have the end goal of convincing the person to give up hope, to despair, to believe God has abandoned them, and ultimately to commit suicide. So too does the devil wish to cause despair, loss of faith, and self-destruction among Catholics via defection from the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Reflect upon St. Matthew's narration of Jesus calming the sea, Matthew eight, twenty-three through 27 It is by God's design that this event is immediately preceded by Jesus coming into Peter's house, the church, to heal and to exorcise demons, verses 14 through 17, and is immediately succeeded by the exorcism of the Gerasian demons, verses 28 through 32. Christ lay asleep in the boat during the storm, yet remained in full control of the vessel's progress and safety. So too, Christ the King remains in complete control of the church militant and of all events on earth right now. He is waiting for the perfect occasion to calm the diabolical storm, namely, the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Our Lord promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Did he not also promise that he and the Holy Ghost will remain with and guide the church for all ages? Did Our Lady not promise that in the end, her Immaculate Heart will triumph? If, amidst this great trial and suffering akin to possession, Catholics remain faithful to the Church, they will also share in the victory and glory that is destined to come with the great Marian age of renewal and peace. For just as after the little Arab's forty days of possession had ended, an angel from heaven took possession of her person, so too will the Church experience a heavenly age of great renewal and peace after this present trial finally comes to an end. David Rodriguez is the content director for the Fatima Center, and Thomas Michael is the team leader for the Fatima Center's donor management team. He earned his undergraduate degrees in philosophy and business administration from Carnegie Mellon University. Thomas spent a year discerning a vocation with a religious order. He also currently teaches homeschool co-op courses in history and literature. Let us close by honoring... Our Lady and Saint Joseph, in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. The Memoraria to Saint Joseph. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto you, my spiritual father, and beg your protection. O foster father of the Redeemer, despise not my petitions, but in your goodness hear and answer me. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis. Sancti Yosef, teradaimonem, ora pro nobis. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Once again, my name is Terrence M. Stanton. Please share this podcast with everyone you know. 
everyone must repent and believe in the gospel to be saved. We need to have everyone praying the rosary every single day, especially men who are listening to this. If you are husbands, if you are fathers, if you are grandfathers, in a very special way, make sure you are leading your families in the rosary every single day. All six times the Blessed Mother came to the shepherds at Fatima in 1917, she asked that they pray the rosary daily, and she asked that of us too. She is the most loving, perfect, sweet mother there could possibly be. We have to honor her. We cannot love her enough. We can always do more to love the Blessed Mother. And by loving her more, we're going to love Jesus more automatically. Goodbye, and God love you.